Hello, you're listening to a sermon provided by the First Presbyterian Church of Mayopac. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m., and you can watch us live either on Facebook or YouTube. And if you're in the area, there's always a seat saved for you. We hope that this message encourages you to continue growing in humility and faith. Thanks for listening. Our reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. So let us listen now to God's holy word and what it says to us this day. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of people we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you might become an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place where your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about, uh, report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. I'm going to throw out a couple data points for you this morning. The first data point comes from a 2011, uh, unfortunately, it seems like it was the most recent study that was done from uh, the Pew Research Center that stated there were 2.2, an estimated 2.2 billion self-identifying Christians worldwide. So that's not just here in, in the U.S., that's worldwide, 2.2 billion self-identifying Christians. The second data point comes from the U.S. Census Bureau, which puts an estimated population globally of 7.9 billion people who make up the population who live on this planet we call Earth might you begin to draw the connection between the first and the second? It's, well, it's really an unfair question because you can't really do that without additional context. So here is that additional context. The additional context is this. Again, with 2.2 billion self-identifying Christians and 7.9 billion people worldwide. For some context, let's just take a look at our own corner of that world. For context, one in six 
children live in poverty, which makes them the largest block of Americans living in poverty. One in 10 Americans are food insecure. Food insecure meaning that they don't have consistent access to enough food to live on. One in 10 Americans lives with some form of medical debt, ranging from $250 up to tens of thousands or more in medical debt. One in four women and one in nine men in this country have also experienced some form of domestic violence or violence from a partner. So here's the line. Tell me then how if almost one out of four people are Christian, how do we end up with statistics like these? One in four. How do we end up with all these people who are hungry? All these people who are lonely? All these people who are worrying about either warring conflicts in their own lands or in their communities? How do we end up in the place where we are now? If one in four people, friends, profess to be a Christian, profess to be a follower of Christ. In our last great end of the church, as we arrive at it today, we are told that the church exists to demonstrate the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. It might be an understatement to say we still have some ways to go when it comes to exhibiting the kingdom of heaven to the world. But before we jump into how we can change that, as people who profess to be followers of Christ, by looking at Paul's epistle to the church, I want us to take a step back for a moment and reflect on Jesus's ministry, who Paul is writing about. I don't know about you, but in Sunday school, I was basically taught Jesus came to earth, did a lot of great things, these things called miracles, And then Jesus died on the cross, which was really the main purpose of Jesus' ministry. Sound familiar, perhaps? Any any crucial detail I'm missing? I hear no I objects, so. But what if that was backwards? What if the cross was not the main goal of Jesus' ministry or the main purpose of Jesus' ministry, but merely a consequence of Jesus' true mission, which was not just to heal those who were sick and couldn't pay for it, not just to feed those who were hungry, but to also set a table 
to break bread with all different kinds of people, to break bread with pagans and prostitutes and those darn tax collectors, to break bread and sit at table with sinners and Gentiles. Jesus broke bread with all these and the least of these. And it was not those who were righteous and pious. No, it was those, as we have just named, those who everyone else said were not worthy of having a place at the table. The place where we know as we celebrate communion, where we exhibit a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. We're all are worthy of God's grace. And what did we do to Jesus after seeing him minister to the least of these? The result of Jesus giving the, those on the fringes a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven was crucifixion. We crucified him, we put him to death, we hung him on a tree because we, the people, could not bear the thought of the kingdom of heaven, including people we didn't think were worthy. Jesus' ministry was not so much about the cross as it was the act of giving, the act of including, the act of breaking bread, offering that foretaste of the kingdom of heaven here and now. Bringing us back to Paul's letters, then, we hear how Paul begins this letter to the church by encouraging them. He gives thanks for them. He gives thanks for their dedication, the work that they have done. Gives thanks for them and the presence of God's Spirit that dwells within them. In this exhortation, Paul highlights the call for those people in the church and us to be imitators, not perfectors of God, but to be imitators of God, and how the Thessalonians and us are encouraged to amplify that in each other, to amplify that in the message of God's life-giving word by being living embodiments of those who set the table of welcome, who continue to offer that foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. Again, we are called, friends, to be imitators not perfectors of God's message. For we are not the judge and the jury when it comes to who has a place at this table. If we were, we would end up back in the same place where Jesus tried to correct our misgivings, our misunderstandings. We would end up back at the place of trying to argue with Jesus who sat with those who were excluded those deemed unworthy or fit by our own standards. That's not our responsibility. As imitators of God, we are here. We are here in this place, in this church, in this community, to offer that glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven might look like. And in case you didn't know, that kingdom of heaven, that table, 
is gonna include people you don't want to eat with. And while we might make mistakes along the way in preparing that table, it is something we are called to do, something we are called to strive for, to do better, to be better as we embody the grace of God. Coming to an end of this first chapter in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul gives the believers then not just an exhortation or a word of encouragement, he also gives them sort of a report card. He tells them, for the people of those regions, report about us what kind of welcome we had among you. In our pursuit to exhibit the kingdom of heaven in the world, what would Paul, what would God say about us? Would we be slapped on the wrist or scolded for the ways in which we haven't welcomed or the ways in which we have welcomed and then, you know, sort of grumble because, oh, they've overstayed their welcome? I'm guilty of that. Or in this report, would we be celebrated? Would we be celebrated for the way in which we participate in continuing to offer that foretaste. For example, in, our way, in the ways in which we participate now in new missions, such as continuing uh, our own work with our sistering church on the midnight run, or donations to our local food pantries, or the meals we deliver to Jan Peak. I don't know which way it would go, probably a mixture of both. But it's clear that as we hear the words of Paul today, as we reflect on what it means for us to exhibit the kingdom of heaven, something needs to be done. It's clear that even though we've made meaningful strides, even for ourselves here in this church and in this time, there's still a lot that can be done. After all, we also make up that one and four statistic. And I say that there's still more to be done because there was an interesting report put out by Dr. Bill Drummond, who's a professor of urban analytics at Georgia Tech, and who's also a Presbyterian minister in the PCUSA. He put out this statement that said, if we do nothing, by 2040, all our current-sized churches, sized a hundred and less, will be gone. Let me say that again. He says, if we do nothing different by 2040, all our current churches, sized a hundred and less, will be gone. I like to believe we won't be a part of that statistic. I like to believe that we won't be a part of those congregations that drop off. But truly, friends, it all depends on how we are going to decide how each and every day, how each and every month, how every year we will decide to live anew into our vision, to cast and how we choose to exhibit the kingdom of heaven to the world. And that won't happen if we try to do the things we've used to done, 
because that's the way we've always done it. Or because we feel as though doing something old is going to be the silver bullet for us. But I really like to believe we can break that cycle that he predicts. For as God sent Christ into the world to eat with the outcasts, the marginalized, Christ came here to also be with us, to be with each of us here this day, to break bread with us as well, to calm the fear or worry in our hearts, to remind us that for all the times in which we may have felt on the outside as well, Christ was there at the table to break bread with us so that Christ might lay that claim on our hearts. And in laying that claim, Christ calls us to ministry and to be agents of change and healing in this world that is yearning, that is hungry, and that is thirsty. One in four might seem like a mighty large number, is a, is a mighty large number. And though at times it might feel as though we are doing this work alone, we're not. We are connected to the great cloud of witnesses who have set the way before us. We are connected to Christ, to the living God who walks with us. We are connected to all those faithful here in this time and place who are also encouraged by God as we pursue our work and witness to the world. So let our witness stand with those who are hurting, with the poor, with the marginalized, with those who have never known what welcome is. Let our witness stand with those who are hurting or in need of a friend, and some of those people might be here right now in our midst. In our one square inch, the sphere in which we can uh, exert influence, let us live into the one and four who do something different, who truly work to exhibit the kingdom of heaven now so that we might repair one day the brokenness of our hurting world, and in witness create a healthy and vital community of faith that perseveres and thrives on the heart of our living God as we wear that passion, that love on our sleeves. In everything we say and do, let us bear that faithful witness. Amen. Thanks again for listening and we will hold you in prayer as we head into a new week. If you'd like to learn more about our church and ministry, or if you'd like to learn how you can support us, you can visit our website at mayopacchurch.org. Until next week, God bless.